but it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> so, yeah. No, go ahead. Have you ever tried to wash your airplane and have it go really wrong? That's not exactly what this story is about. Um, I, I, um, I refuse to answer that question. Oh, really? Oh, okay. There is a story there, but let's talk about the one that's on the list. Yeah. Uh, so what? It's like a tradition when what? When a pilot retires, this is an airline, I guess. Thing, yeah. Right? Or, or, or big it, aircraft, right? It, Military and. Yeah. No, well, it, it can be a restrictor. It can be primarily big, large, large transports, um, but. Uh, it's common um, f- at airports of certain stature um, that the uh, fire trucks get together and shoot water across a taxiway mm-hmm. as an airplane taxis under the water. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, it, it's used for retirements, basically, uh, or or special welcomes for certain aircraft, um, whether it's the captain's retirement or the airplane's retirement or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I've, I've I've known it to be a uh, salute to pilots that are retiring from corporations from the FAA. Right. Uh, yeah, and it actually is also there's a maritime equivalent, right? I think that there's a there's a sort of a of a you know fireboats shooting water into the air in order to celebrate some sure. boat related thing. I think sure. I've seen as well, right? Um, which is perhaps where the aviation gets it from. I don't know. Um, or the other way around. Anyways, so, and normally the way this works is that the fire trucks will shoot the water up into the air so that it will sort of rain down and from both sides such that it will then rain down onto uh, the aircraft that's passing along the taxiway, right? And this Something is like the that. celebratory thing, right? Um, and and it all and it works just fine, except when it doesn't. <laughs> except when it doesn't. <laughs> so, because you know these airplanes are good at taking, uh, you know, rainfall. I mean, obviously they hit the you know if they're in the in, in if they're in flight in the rain, they can be hit by raindrops at at hundreds of miles an hour. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fire trucks raining spray raining down on them is no problem, um, except when this kind of thing happens. And what happened here? Um, the, uh, let me see, find the official language here. Um, the, uh, the firefighting vehicle position on the left side of the aircraft experienced a problem with the roof turret, which ceased to follow the operator's input. From the hand controller. I, I, when I hate happens. when that happens. <laughs> yeah. And the high, so, uh, the high pressure water jet was suddenly sprayed upwards and then downwards as the aircraft passed underneath. The aircraft was struck by the water jet, causing the left forward overwing emergency exit hatch to open. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have yeah you ever, okay. Have uh, you ever this, seen an airliner capsized? Really? <laughs> yeah, I know. So, so the so the uh, overwing exit opened. You see, dude, hang on a second though. You got you got you got to feel something for the the guy in in uh, seat A. Yeah, okay? that window seat. Okay? It's like, he's sitting there. He's, God, this, you know, this exit row, man, that was great. Uh, you know, I got all this leg room, and then you're underwater, you know. <laughs> I know. It must have been. I mean, plus the door came in, you know. And you got an exit hatch in your lap. Yeah. Um, oh, I, man. I'm a little surprised that 
so it almost makes it sound like these things don't latch. Um, these exit hatch things um, that they're held or they're held in place by a very very minimal latch that obviously can be over you know uh, overpowered. Well, and they're they're not really designed to take pressure from the outside, right? Because they're seated in such that the inside you know pressurization holds them in place. I guess right. Well, well, that's that's part of the the question I have here. I kind of wonder if the airplane was pressurized with the I don't know. I guess. Well, I guess we'll never know. Uh, I kind of wonder if the airplane had already been depressurized since it was on the ground. I don't know. Well, uh, I, I'm pretty sure I, it I would be imagine after that they would, land. Yeah, I would imagine that they'd be to equal pressure by now, by this point. Maybe yeah. not. I don't know. Um, because don't they? Don't, uh, airliners, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. It depends on the airplane. Yeah. It depends on the on the operator. Yeah. It depends on all kinds of stuff. But what it, I it, always it, what I always it, heard was that air airliners, um, even in flight, don't get pressurized to cabin pressure of higher than like what five or six thousand feet or something like that um they they go up they don't stay at i guess my point is they don't stay at at sea level pressure um no. the pressure in the cabin rises to a threshold and then obviously the aircraft goes higher but the cabin pressure does not um and so once you start getting down below five thousand feet i would imagine that you're at atmospheric pressure below flight level well it's not flight level but five thousand feet well, and most most of the modern air, airliners and business jets and all that have uh, pressurization systems that are automated now. Right. Uh, it's not like the old days where somebody on the flight deck had to turn it up and down according to. Although what was we had a story recently about something they forgot. Right. Remember that story mm-hmm. just recently about uh, they forgot to turn it on and they, I think that was was the story, wasn't it? Do you remember what I'm talking about? I do, I vaguely, but I don't remember who it was or the equipment. And I think it was a foreign carrier. Um, but an airline that they forgot to turn it on and everybody went to sleep. And when everybody started going to sleep, somebody said, hey, 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 come, you know. Oh, no, I think, that, no, that's what happened. The oxygen masks dropped. Uh, um, and when the op- os- oxygen masks dropped, that kind of gave them an idea that something was happening. Yeah. And uh, yeah. uh, I, what, what I'm trying to picture here is when that, when that exit, that window exit, deployed to the inside of the cabin which is where it's always supposed to go you pull it in and then you throw it out but the hatch fell into the cabin and then the left overwing emergency slide ramp deployed so now you got this big yellow ramp coming out of that window and down the back of the wing as they're trying to taxi onto the ramp uh, yeah i it was, i'm sure it was it was a uh a, a I was going to say comical situation. And some um, kid on the ground's looking at it and said, man, I want that bouncy house at my birthday party. I know, I know. Um, yeah, so the door, the door, the door popped in. Uh, obviously, some water came in as well, and uh, uh, hilarity ensued. No, um, no word on where the, uh, whether the automatic raincoats deployed. <laughs> yeah. uh, I thought, you know, for some reason, I remember this story differently. It's funny until you just start telling it that it was the door thing. Um, I thought that the high pressure spray from the fire truck had damaged the the uh, paint job uh, of the aircraft. I'm not trying to figure out why this this, this story, this version, might the story rings a bell for me. I mean, it was a different story altogether. Because um, I was wondering what would happen. I mean, for example, would the high pressure spray, um, you know, peel off the paint or something like that? You know, or uh, it, it's, it could. You know. I guess. Um, um, you use a pressure washer wrong, yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll take yeah. you know. 
Yeah, which leads me to was was lead, led me to wonder about um, more and more airplanes now are being um, not painted but uh, skinned. What's the, there's a word for it? I think, but you know, they're they're, they're putting these vinyl uh, um, wraps wrapped. They're being wrapped, uh-huh. um, and uh, this always makes me a little nervous. Although I had a conversation with our pal um, Craig um, about this right. um, from Scheme Designers, um, and they. Um, a lot of the paint schemes that they do these days are applied as a wrap, not as paint anymore. Huh. Um, and uh, I asked him about, you know, how durable, especially in flight, you know, I mean, you kind of imagine that, uh, you know, if a little loose edge kind of appears, suddenly the slipstream could grab it. That, that may not be really what could happen, but that's my imagination of it. Yeah. And, uh, um, but uh, Craig said, no, it works fine. They, I don't know whether, maybe they wrap it from the back to the front, you know, so that the so the leading edge if you will of a piece of wrap is underneath the trailing edge of the more forward piece or something like that yeah i don't don't know how they do that that would be a a head scratcher you know i'm sure that they figured this out and and air speeds and limitations if any and and things like that i uh, uh the whole thing just seems odd um but i know a guy who painted his airplane um with the intent of using appliques like that. Now, uh, you know, it's Bonanza, so it's not, you know, up in the flight levels and it's not screaming along at 400 knots. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, specifically painted it with a solid background so that he could apply whatever he wanted, you know, whenever, yeah. whenever he wanted to right. apply it. So. Right. I know more and more cars are being painted this way, too, now, being wrapped instead of painted. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say painted. They, they, they've they been decorated or... or uh, well, uh, yes, and I, I would imagine that's the most common case, but I have seen on some of my YouTube watching um, car modders who are wrapping the entire car, uh-huh. right? Um, and not with a custom wrap, necessarily. Sometimes with just a color, you know, so instead of painting in a color, they completely wrap every, every you know, external element of the vehicle in in this wrap that gets stretched and shrunk and whatever, however they apply it. Um, so, uh, yeah. So anyways, interesting. Yeah. So, uh, the door popped in and, uh, and, uh, you know, okay. Wasn't there also something about this where the, was this the story where the, uh, the arriving, uh, whoever it was, captain or whoever was being, you know, celebrated here, didn't know that this was going to happen or there was a, I, maybe that's a different story altogether that that did happen yeah yeah it's, and it's, then something but went awry as a result yeah uh, he, he i think they they um pushed the abandoned ship button uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, it, 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 they thought that the, they were on fire or something. Fire trucks, something awful right. must be happening. Oh my God. Oh, now, yeah. Let's, that get, would let's be, get out of this. That and, would be, uh, I, don't, I don't remember the details, but I, I do remember something like that. It, and I, I had the opportunity years ago to set one of these up. Um, uh-huh. The organization I was working for um, said, hey, by the way, you know, so-and-so's on our board. He's retiring. Mm-hmm. Um, today, his last flight is arrives at Dulles at like two thirty. Call them and see if you can get a the the fire truck salute thing. I said, really, I got to do that? Yeah. Uh, how, how how am I going? I don't I don't know who to talk to. So I called PR at at for Dulles or some office at Dulles and said. Yeah, have y'all ever done this before? And you know, they start laughing. Just, Dude, we do this all the time. Yeah. Just, just tell us what flight number it is. We'll coordinate with company, and we'll make it work. 
I'm like, that's it. That's it. Thank you very much. And um, that's all it took. And it, it, it came off perfectly. I, I didn't attend it. I, I uh, mm-hmm. uh, But I heard it came off perfectly. So, hey, you know, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyways. Well, yeah, so I, you know, sometimes I have to fight to find sort of an oddball, uh, a subject to put at the beginning of an episode. This time I found like three or four of them. Um, and uh, before I forget, um, we may continue with the oddball ones, we may move on. But one thing I'm definitely going to do is say, welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson, coming to you from uh, beautiful downtown Dover, New Hampshire, along the banks of the uh, industrious Cochico River. Uh, and uh, I'm here today talking with my uh, two good friends in our virtual hangar. Uh, let's see now. Uh, one voice out there is uh, my pal from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. That's Jeb Burnside. Hi, Jeb. What's going on? Nothing much. Uh, settling in for a chat with you guys this morning. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, spring has sprung down here. Uh, we've probably got about three. How would you know? I because um, it's, it's nice and chilly at night. You, good sleeping weather at night. It's down to sixty or so. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Uh Eighty five uh, in the uh, for a high in mid afternoon. Mm-hmm. It's, it's quite nice, actually. Yeah. Actually, I, sh- I and I tease you because you tease us mercilessly about about winter. Um, after Sun and Fun, since the last episode, I, I did spend a few days down there, and uh, thank you for that. By the way, my, it's all, my pleasure. Thank always you. Always fun to, to be there. Um, and the weather was just as you describe, actually, uh, yeah. while I was there. Um, it was very comfortable in the evening um, and overnight. Um, and uh, a couple of mornings, I actually it was a little chilly almost. You know, even yeah. for my New Hampshire bones, yeah. you know, uh, it was a little chilly. But uh, very very quickly each day, it warmed up to a to a really nice. Uh, uh, florida temperature really nice new hampshire temperature but really yeah so it was a very pleasant visit i enjoyed that a lot it was very short this year Longtime listeners will know that i spent a lot of time in past years down there and this winter not so much but uh, but uh, i'm glad i got down there for a few minutes yeah me anyways too. Yeah. Me too. and my other good friend here in our virtual hangar is uh, from the air capital of the world wichita kansas that's dave higdon good morning david how are you doing oh doing lovely here uh it is definitely spring here. Uh, I can tell by the dandelion invasion in the park next door. Uh-huh. Uh, looks like a sea of little yellow bobbing heads floating yeah. on a sea of grass. Uh, I, I, are you? Is it? Is it your? Do you know anything whether or not that's unusually uh, an unusually large bloom of dandelions? And the reason I ask is it was a big story about a month ago out on the west coast. Um, particularly in the Sierra, but in my old stomping grounds along the, the uh, west coast of the U.S., um, the wildflower bloom was crazy uh, high as a result of, I guess, the wet, wetter winter or something like that. Um, and uh, it actually became a tourist attraction thing where people coming out to see these fantastic fields of wildflowers. And uh, so you think the were the dandelions more than usual this year, David? No, it's about normal for the park yeah. next door. They don't they don't do any kind of uh, a preemptive weed uh, treatment to mm-hmm. keep the dandelions and chickweed down. Yeah. So when it I, does look like uh, you've been at least that part of the country has been getting a little bit of weather, a little bit of extreme weather. Um, has it reached up into uh, southern Kansas? Uh, it's had an it's it's had an effect here. We've had a little little bit of rain about every three or four days just close enough that i haven't been able to get a yard guy in here to cut the yard and and uh i'm waiting now for tarzan to show up and start swinging between the weeds <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's see now what are these other oddball one things here um 
So let's see now what we got here. Oh, I guess it was just one other oddball one. Um, the guy got ejected from the fighter. Did you see this story? This is just... What is this? This was a, uh, let's see now, uh, a French two-seat uh, Raphael B. jet um, was... Sounds like maybe they're doing a media ride or something like that, all right? Um, and uh, and uh, and mid-flight, the passenger was ejected. I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh because people got hurt. Yeah. But, uh, 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 and, uh, you know, I, I, and I've, I've never gotten a media ride in a, in a, um, military aircraft, but I've gotten media rides in, in acro aircraft such that you get the parachute briefing at the beginning and, you know, you try and pay attention. But, uh, apparently the parachute briefing also includes a, you know, see this yellow lever, it does this, don't do that. All right. Uh, kind of thing. And uh, last I heard on this story, they hadn't determined what caused the passenger seat to eject. Um, uh, I saw a story at one point that suggested that it could conceivably have been the passenger messing around, but that was very, very yeah. speculative. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, you know, and my question and so many other, you know, wags questions was, uh, are you sure this was accidental? <laughs> uh, <laughs> have you ever had a passenger that you wanted to eject? You know, and, yeah, uh, but... Uh... Yeah, but uh, right. Yeah, so uh, uh, every time I hear about something like this, or or so- something going askew on a civilian in the back of a of a two seat fighter, I always think back to that that old Sports Illustrated column that guy wrote, um, where he uh, just got uh, got sick, the whole thing. Uh, but um, before the flight. He was. He asked the Navy people. He was a Navy uh, uh, F-14 people who were flying him. They, he asked, "Is there anything I should eat or not eat before this flight?" And um, he was told bananas. And he says, "Bananas." He says, "Yeah." He says, "Because of the potassium?" And no, because they taste about the same coming up as they do going down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Now, there's there's a uh, a former TV newsman of my acquaintance that would dispute that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it 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 tastes nothing like coming up. Okay. It tastes nothing like it does going down. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, but I, oh, okay. I I think his judgment was clouded by the fact that some of it came through his nose. Oh. And, uh, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. Oh, he he he. Uh, Three or four of the six sacks that they that the uh, yeah. crew chief gave him before he went off on a Blue Angels ride, and uh, I'd done it the day before, and then he and the radio guy got weathered out. Uh, but I went back just to observe and uh, and and to see who won the pool on the, using the least six sacks, and uh, that that got me a cup of coffee from the crew chief because I didn't have to clean up anything in the cockpit. Good for you. I'm proud of you, David. I'm proud of you. Uh, so uh, follow-ups here. We've got, uh, uh, let's see, now, a real quick one. Uh, in the episode at uh, at Sun Fund, the closing day episode, we made reference to uh, the, uh, uh, the lawn Roomba um, that Honda was displaying across the way from where we were sitting, uh, and we were kind of joking around about it. Um, and we didn't know what it was called. 
And uh, listener Tom K uh, uh, checked in just to tell us that the Honda thing is apparently called a, a MIMO robotic lawnmower. And MIMO is spelled M-I-I-M-O, which is very close to what, David, you said it was called, what you told us um, at, the, uh, at the time. But uh, thanks to uh, Tom K for filling us in. De- Jeb, have you bought one of those yet? I'm sorry. Say that again. Have you bought one of the little Honda uh, lawn uh, Roombas yet? No, but I, I did buy a re- I did did recently buy a new lawnmower. But I, n- no. Yeah, I know you did. Maybe what we're gonna have to do is then we're gonna have to um, turn your new lawnmower into a self driving lawnmower. Wouldn't that be cool, huh? And have I, it- I think that'd be extraordinarily dangerous. <laughs> More dangerous than you, me, or Ed driving around the yard? I don't know. I think we're, we're the three of us are totally capable of being quite dangerous. Um, but, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, thanks to Tom K. Uh, let's see now. Uh, the uh, I hate it when this happens. One, another thing we talked about at SunFun um, was the fact that the, uh, the, dr- the, the, the drone swarm display that was supposed to happen during the night air show got canceled. And some people were suggesting that, so they were not totally clear why they canceled it. They kept saying something about GPS problems. Um, And some people were suggesting that it had to do with this story, which is that, um, so GPS apparently just like a couple weeks ago passed through uh, their own little mini Y2K kind of thing. That, by the way, that's a reference that might be dating me. Um, The whole Y2K thing, which seems fairly fresh in my mind, was a long time ago. Oh, it's so 20th century. Yeah, I know. I mean, there are adults now who weren't born when that, well, not quite. There's almost adults now who, who weren't I'll born. I'll say barely adults. But, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, they can vote now. Y2K can vote. I don't know. There's a joke in there someplace. <laughs> Anyways, um, uh, uh, GPS apparently had some sort of uh, numeric rollover that happened recently. Um, and uh, apparently it wasn't going to, never expected to be quite as dramatic as we feared Y2K would be. But... Uh, but it it was a thing, and uh, Jeb, you you put this on the on the list. Did did some um, operators actually have problems with the GPS rollover? Um, I don't know that for a fact. I I'm sure if you looked long and hard enough in some public available records, you could probably find an example or two. Yeah, I mean, but weren't weren't there some some airline um, flight cancellations that were attributed? Well, acor- to this? according to this story, there were. Yeah. Um, um, According to reports on social media, quote unquote, um, um, one KLM flight in as many as um, fifteen seven trip sevens and seven eight sevens in China were delayed mm-hmm. or canceled over the weekend because okay. of calendar rollover errors. It doesn't say that this happened in in the U.S. airspace um, in, in the U.S. Right. Um, but that wouldn't, well, I guess it could have to do with the where the aircraft is certificated or certified. Um, no, it has to do with how current their software is. Well, yes, and and how current they've been required to keep their software right. might be a function of the aircraft certification. Maybe, I don't know, I'm just speculating. Or, or, or the countries in which it is operated. Right, because uh, the picture here, so this is from, by the way, from Ars Technica, um, uh, our new favorite aviation news site. <laughs> Sorry, that's yeah. just a, no, that's, that's a standard UCAP hey, joke. Um, I'll, I'll take it 
from wherever I can get it. Yeah, no, I mean, Ars Technica is actually a very reputable uh, technology uh, right. website. So, uh, um, and they're reporting on a technology aspect of aviation. So I just joke. Um, there's a picture here. The picture shows uh, the video display, the uh, MFD display, um, showing the date as being uh, August of 1999. So, uh, or, or something 99, maybe it was 2099 or, you know, but uh, um, that's uh, kind of oops, right? That's yeah, probably that's, not that's correct. That's you know, but uh, that this considering the picture probably wasn't even taken in August. The well, I was, was, was going to say that picture could have been taken on 22 August of 99 for all well, we know. Okay. Maybe. So I'd be a little careful. It is a somewhat low definition yeah, picture. I, I, yeah. I don't think that it could have been taken in 99 if it was a 787 because well, we didn't have 787 yet. Well, do we know from the? We can't tell from that screenshot or that, yeah, that photograph. What, yeah, uh, yeah. There is a pretty fancy MFD going on here, but maybe I guess they had those in '99. Yeah, um, well, that's it looks like the Honeywell. Uh-huh. But I'm not sure. They almost all look alike at the bezel level. Yeah. So, uh, so the rollover. Well, okay. So we don't think necessarily think it, but uh, I mean. Was this GPS rollover a thing, or was it really, really very limited? Well, hang on a second. This is not the first time this has happened, is it? I don't know. Is it? Well, that's a shame we don't have some device. I would imagine that the first level of checking while you're looking for something to 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 refer to um, would be to kind of look at your GPS. Everybody ought to be looking at their GPS and just double-checking that the date is is you know the time and date are what you know the time and date to be um and i guess that would be a first level of of uh of correction but yeah jeb did you find anything about this happening in the past no not yet all, all the stuff i've seen is so far as of the, the recent rollover yeah. of the april 6 right. uh, uh, but i'll uh yeah, well, I mean, I'll take can, it as can... a I'll take it as a homework assignment. Yeah, okay, and um, but the next one's going to be a little bit of a homework assignment too. Well, I don't have a uh, so moving on here. Um, I don't have a link to direct anybody to, but I think it, it might be interesting for us to revisit or update on the seven thirty seven Max situation, um, especially since uh, I think we talked about it little or not at all at Sun and Fun. So it's been literally three weeks, four weeks since we talked about it. Um, it's still going on. It's crazy. Um, it's a little it's starting to get a little out of hand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's uh, uh, when what I meant to look this up. The the date when the seven thirty seven maxes were first grounded was obviously prior to Sun and Fun, so that would have put it back in in basically in March. Um, and I'm, I'm sure there's a Wikipedia page. Yeah. And I'm sure it has that date. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm going to let you find it. Max grounding. Uh, let's see now. Uh, it was specifically the Max 8 because there's another model Max in, right. in, in production and it's not affected. Uh, this, this Wikipedia entry just... Wait a minute. Oh, this, according to this Wikipedia page, uh, Boeing 737 MAX Groundings is the title of the Wikipedia page. It says that the groundings started on March 11th, um, and so it's... Uh, no, 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 that's not, that's not correct. When, the, when were they banned in the U.S.? When okay, were they grounded yeah, right, yeah, in the yeah, U.S.? Yeah, well, t- well, good point, good point, because this is, it says Ethiopia. Yeah, Ethiopia grounded, grounded on here. On March theirs. 10th or 11th. Yeah. yeah, China on the 11th, 
Sorry, reading the story as I go here. Uh, U.S. initially stated they weren't on... on uh, no, President Trump made the announcement on March 13th, and the... Uh, That's when we, the we as in the U.S., caught up with the rest of the world. Right, and so that... had already that, acted to ground. The official grounding in the U.S. happened within a day or two of President Trump making that tweet, and so, uh, so let's call it mid-March. Um, so, you know, we're basically uh, a month plus into this grounding, and... Uh, um, you know, all all these stories. I keep seeing stories. I can't reference a particular one about this is seriously hurting Boeing. Boeing saying it's going to cost them a billion dollars when it's all said and done in terms of lost income and lost you know and penalties and whatever. Um, I believe and, we talked about this uh, the, 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 up to the date that we were talking about it before we left all left for Sun and Fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the uh, the uh, grounding happened uh about march 14th after he announced uh boeing suspended production of 737s going out the door from renton because of a parking space issue Mm -hmm. and uh but spirit aerosystems here in wichita is continuing to produce the max 8 fuselage uh in regular order uh and they're parking them on the rail cars in in cubby holes around the plant down on South Oliver in which sure. uh other vendors are continuing to produce their parts contribution to the aircraft at a normal rate and Boeing's just finding space for them or holding them uh for delivery and for when the grounding is over and production resumes right uh is uh, Boeing didn't want to have all of its uh, suppliers get uh, whipsawed by, are we in production of this or not? So the only production that was really suspended by this was the finished airplane itself. Uh, the component parts and pieces continue to grow into full-size fuselages ready for shipment to Renton. Uh, and other vendors that I've talked to, uh, they're going forward. Uh, they're producing their parts. Uh, they're either delivering them or holding them for when Boeing uh, says, okay, the switch is back on. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're continuing continuing to get paid for this, except Boeing's not producing the airplane and can't deliver the airplane, so Boeing's not getting paid for this. And all of this is supposed to be adding up to a billion a, a month. A billion Boeing. a month? A billion a month. That's, that's, that's about right, I guess. So I guess I have two questions. Yeah. Um, one is, if this was just a simple software tweak, why is it <laughs> taking so long? A. B, um, is it in fact much more complicated than uh, than we thought? Well, sounds like it is. Um, did, I, did I forward you guys an article I found um from uh, the IEEE, uh, one of the IEEE journals, which is a pretty, pretty uh, uh, reputable uh, electronics, you know, f- uh, organization, um, about a, 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 a software developer, a very experienced software developer who's also an experienced um, 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 172 owner pilot, um, wrote about his take on the whole thing, um, and. Uh, and and he just yeah, had some interesting that. observations. About I saw that. I didn't get all the way through it, but I yeah, just, it was pretty long. Um, and uh, uh, all right, now 
where were we? I've completely lost track here. Um, right. what, whatever you were talking about, you just started to talk about it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, uh, we were uh, talking I'll, about the, the 737 MAX. Yeah, so in the event this is confusing to listeners, I will explain that we just had a little bit of a technical problem, um, and I've cut out almost all of it, but uh, um, we've forgotten what we were talking about when the... Uh, are you talking? We've forgotten specifically what we were talking about. We were talking about the 737 MAX and the situation there, and uh, let's see now... Uh, uh, Dave was updating us on his uh, um, the the, the uh, reports he's getting about the, how it's doing. And David, I, the, the question I had regarding you were talking about Spirit Era systems and them just putting them on the railroad cars, but even that's not an unlimited thing, right? They uh, uh, they'll run out of railroad cars and or railroad sidings at some point. And uh, um, well, they got a lot of them. And, yeah, uh, it, it bears uh, remembering that. This Max Eight is the only one that they that Boeing is not producing right now. All the other models of seven thirty seven in production are still sure. rolling out of the plant. Yeah, and and that and, was sort of my next question: is to what extent um, are these? I'm making finger quotes. Seven thirty seven Max fuselages also usable as you know? Could they retarget them, if you will, to other seven thirty sevens? I can't answer that question but from what i've been hearing it doesn't sound like it because the uh the uh, max 8 fuselages are continuing to come off the line right. now they i remember what we were talking about so i was referencing the ieee article that i had seen um and one of the things and, and i i I, did, I can't say for certainty that this guy's a reputable source although the fact that ieee published his thing suggests that you know it's it's worth considering um, a big part of his thesis was that this MCAS, this MCAS thing, right. um, was that the whole thing was just a bad idea. Um, his thesis is that that Boeing in this instance just basically reshaped everything in order to try and make it so that a 737 MAX would not have to be recertificated as another aircraft, that it was still basically a 737. I don't know all the right terminology, right? Type rating, is that the right word for this case? Um, um, and and so the MCAS, he actually expressed, described the MCAS situa- system in a different way than I had heard before, it, that it's more than just like, you know, stall recovery kind of stuff, that it was actually, according to this article, a way to make the 737 MAX fly like a 737, even though the 737 MAX does not fly fundamentally like a 737. Um, because of the bigger engines and the pl- placement of the engines and so the thrust lines and the all this kind of stuff right. makes a 737 uh, MAX in its native form fly fundamentally differently than a 737. And in order to make it so that everybody with their 737 type rating can keep flying 737 MAXs, they put in software. This is almost a la the whole story about how they used to um, um, rework a, a, a biz jet of some sort to make it fly like a, 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 a space shuttle. Um, you know, uh, that's a pretty extreme case. But uh, MCAS was supposed to make a 737 MAX fly like a 737, and apparently it didn't. That's this guy's thesis. It's interesting. Uh, um, on, on, I don't know if you can hear me or not. You're a little uh, far away, okay. Jim. Um, on one level, he's, he's probably correct in, in the sense that 
as we, I think, as we publicly understand MCAS right now, uh, it was designed to pitch the nose over down, I should say, uh, in certain uh, circumstances. One of them apparently being an extreme angle of attack. Um, with with certainly, I don't know, with or without power, but certainly with power applied, um, to prevent uh, exceeding a critical angle of attack, the system would pitch the nose over. Um, what else did it do? Is is I guess what uh, um, I think this guy's might might be asking. On its face, yeah, it was it was uh, implemented to help make the 737 Max fly like the previous versions of the 7.3. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. What apparently seems to be the problem is it was badly written software. So um, it didn't allow for certain failure modes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Um, that's where we are, as far as I can tell. I, I'm I'm struck by here we are again. We're just 25th April, uh, and basically this has been going on now 40 days. Uh, at least the the U.S. groundings have been 40 days, and uh, other international groundings even predate that. So it's just a little he- a bit of a head starting to be a little bit of a head scratcher for me. Why why they can't seem to get this fixed as as uh, yeah. sooner. I know. Huh? There's there's something else. There's more going on here than just a simple. Oops, we forgot to put in code that um, demands an, a cross check if there's a bad AOA. Yeah, that's, yeah, and and that, that, that's not what it sounds like to me. I know. Yeah, and and I'm seeing a bunch of stories um, that are saying, and, and they're trying to express this. Hopefully, they're saying, well, the 737 Max should be back in the air by July, and I'm thinking, July, July. Holy moly, that's a long time, all right? You know, so yeah, it's a, it's something. I mean, obviously, something's going on here. Um, I, it, it appears that it's not a well understood problem. I guess you know, basically, when you get right down to it. Yeah. Or the problem is more extensive than we we've been led to believe. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not so. I'm not putting my tinfoil hat on. I'm just saying, you know, it's one of those two issues. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, the basic thesis. Uh, the guy's paper might overstate it a little bit, but uh, the basic thesis is correct. This was inst- part of the certification of the, the 7.3 Maxes, um, in part, not solely because of, but certainly in part, so that they would fly like previous models of the 7.3 and would not require a different type rating. Yeah, which in retrospect may have been a poor choice. I, guess. I I don't know. I, your your knee jerk is not to reject that idea, huh? My my knee jerk is not to reject that idea, but my knee jerk also is to say we don't have enough information. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think we've done. I think uh, that's all. We that's more than we know at this point. Um, yeah. uh, it's just it's a head scratcher, and uh, and there will obviously be more to uh, talk about it in the future. So. Well, I don't know what you guys talked about when, during my uh, dark period there. Yeah. The, uh, you know, some of the stuff that they're discussing, uh, Boeing's discussing with the FAA is 
the the need for or the lack of need for simulator training uh, on whatever the fix is. Uh, and the last mm-hmm. I heard is that they were leaning away from making that a, a, a simulator session and more toward a lecture session to, with PowerPoint showing you how to manage the uh, NCAS system, yeah. MCAS system, if it goes sour. Uh, they got to agree on the fix. They got to test the fix, and then they got to get the fix in all the airplanes. Right. Uh, right. So I, I, I'd be surprised uh, if they were back up and flying these airplanes in revenue service before Memorial Day at this rate. Well, yeah, and as we mentioned while you were away, David, um, a lot of stories these days are saying that it may be July before they get uh, ungrounded. So. Uh, um, yeah, it's a crazy situation. Anyways, uh, that's enough for today. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to this in the future, but uh, um, it's a big mess. It's a big mess. Uh, yeah, I'm glad it's not a GA mess. Yeah, well, yeah. It, yeah. Um, okay, now you've jinxed it. Now there's going to be now there's going to be a GA. Mess. Well, it, it, um, we we do have a GA. Uh, we do have parallel one. with this with the uh, uh, Cirrus Vision. Uh, which is the serious vision? Yeah, is, let's jump ahead here. Which is grounded uh, right now because of problems with its uh, the readings off of its uh, angle of attack indicator, which is kind of an interesting coincidence, um, and maybe simply a coincidence that it's another angle of attack kind of thing. Uh, because, uh, I mean, is it a coincidence or is it is it? You think it's completely unrelated? It's completely unrelated. Okay, so then uh, what happened? Because this kind of came out of nowhere, didn't it? I, I, I suddenly someone a listener texted me saying. Um, I had been joking over the years about buying a Cirrus jet, and uh, and some and 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 now that they're actually shipping, I was saying, oh boy, now I have to follow through on this plan to buy one. And a listener texted me saying, oh, you're off the hook. You don't get to buy. You don't have to buy a Cirrus jet now because they're grounded. Uh, did this come out of nowhere, or did you guys hear rumblings that this might happen? Well, what I first heard was uh, that there was a report in uh, the. Uh, NASA's aviation safety reporting system, uh, mm-hmm. uh, citing a uh, Cirrus Vision pilot who reported that he got a, uh, a, a conflicting readings on his uh, angle of attack uh, veins, and the airplane didn't want to behave according to Hoyle when that happened, and he reported it because I think it may have caused him to uh, uh, incur a deviation. And... Uh, then it happened again, and the FAA got a hold of those reports. Cirrus uh, issued a mandatory uh, service bulletin uh, mandating the replacement of the uh, angle of attack vanes. And right after that, uh, the FAA grounded the airplane. So that's another one where we've got a mechanical device feeding information to the electronic uh, brain. And when they don't agree, it's not really sure what to do or how to behave, which is mm-hmm. very similar in some ways to what happened with some other airliners with electronic uh, control systems, flight right. control systems. Anyway, they got a, I think it was a hundred, hundred and some out of these that are grounded now, and they're waiting to get the replacement parts to replace them to uh, resolve the uh, uh, emergency bulletin that the TFA sent out. So, uh I don't believe it stopped Cirrus from producing them. Uh, and I expect that they'll get a fix for that, but it'll, t- it, it went, well, they've got a fix for it. I suspect it'll take a little time for them all to get installed and then be test driven 
to make sure that they're working properly. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it makes one a little bit gun-shy about all this electronic digital instrumentation. Yeah, yeah. What What is the nature of the angle of attack sensor on a Cirrus? So the ones that I'm familiar with on the airliners is a is a fairly simple, at least externally, a fairly simple device where it's a, a, a wind vane on the end of an arm that pivots and it actually is moved by the airflow and then you read the angle of the arm. Um, is that the same kind of device that the Cirrus uses? Yes, yeah. Yeah, and it uses and, two and, of them, one on either side of the. Okay, um, and and it and I, I is it is it true that this is a fairly well established, reliable, uh, you know, piece of equipment? This this um, is this the only way to sense angle of attack? Are there more more technological solutions to sensing this? Can you do it with multiple pitot tubes at different angles, or I don't know what? Is, is this the way it's always done, or are there alternates? It's the only way I know that it's being done right now. There, there were some other solutions farther back, but this has become pretty much the state of the art for the last forty years. Uh, right. And although the external part of it hasn't changed much, what's changed is inside. Has mm-hmm. our cockpit systems have gone from analog to digital? Right. Yeah. Jeb, what, what's your take on this? Any any thoughts? Um, I'm wondering why we can't seem to make AOA veins. Yeah. Um, that, that's on, kind of my on, point. Yeah, on, on one level, you know, um, that that's what we've been told is the initiating event in both of the 737 MAX uh, crashes, uh, that there was a bad angle of attack uh, uh, data. Right. Bad that angle of attack data. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a precipitating event. Um, that would seem to presume or at least have the possibility of actual physical failure of the, of the AOA vein itself. Right. Um, that seems to be the case here in the SF 50, uh, instance. It's interesting. I, I, I was out in the airplane earlier in the week on Monday, um, when all of these news stories and whatnot on the grounding are dated. And I heard uh, a Cirrus Vision jet on the frequency. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it was being repositioned. I don't know if it was airborne when the AD came out. I don't know, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, but uh, I just found that found that to be interesting. Um, hadn't, hadn't really heard one in the wild before. Mm-hmm. And there was one uh, uh, on, this, on the day that this AD came out. So... I don't know what's going on. I, I I just wonder if you know maybe we need to start thinking about how to make AOA sensors. I don't know. And, I guess. And I would also add, you know, we're talking about we talk a lot about um, AOA indicators for light GA, and um, typically um, they have a, a, a an external sensor, but it's not nearly as sophisticated or supposedly. Uh, um, Reliable as the AOA sensors used on transport category. Yeah, easy for me to say. Transport category aircraft. Mm-hmm. Well, how, how, what's the nature of them? How do, do they kind of how do they work? Right? Are they also an arm that moves, or is it more? Dave, help me out here. I don't remember specifically what the what the uh, uh, external apparatus on these are. It might just simply be another pitot tube mast. You're talking about AOA sensors. AOA yeah, yeah, yeah. for for light GA, yeah, uh, and and 
they come in two flavors, uh, maybe mm-hmm. more, but I'm, I'm well aware of two flavors. One is uses a, a different uh, type of pitot tube uh, to sense angle, and then it the little computer in it translates it and feeds that information to a cockpit display. Uh, there are others that are totally digital that they just sense the angle of the airplane itself and then read what the pitot tube, the normal pitot tube is saying in terms of airspeed, and they translate that into an angle right. of attack indication. Right. Uh, and I know some some of the uh, glass uh, panel uh, primary flight display manufacturers yeah. um, can do that via software. Um, once they know the airplane it's mounted in and once you know some things are zeroed in, um, it certainly it can be configured that way. It's not precise, but it's as good as you're going to get uh, with, mm-hmm. with the current software and current sensors. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah. So, um, and that and the Cirrus SF50 grounding is still underway, right? This was uh, it started a few days yeah. back. Well, the, mean, the the AD came out. Um, I think uh, it was before further flight. There was uh, they were allowed to ferry the airplane under certain conditions to a place it could be repaired. Um, is if it's a physical problem with the vanes and they have a replacement, I'm sure it can't be that involved to replace an AOA vane. Um, I, I, it, parts availability, I think, would be the the big hang up, and or uh, someone available to to uh, to do that work. Right. Plus, avionics shops are a little bit uh, uh, maxed out right now in terms of uh, trying to do tell, ADSBs. I would imagine. Tell me about it. I've been up to my eyeballs in, in writing about avionics lately, and and uh, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, um, well, okay. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Uh, Let's see now. I want to jump back in the list just a second just to touch base on this uh, press release from the FAA um, that the FAA... Uh, so U.S. Transportation Secretary Elaine Chao announces FAA certification of commercial package delivery. Um, and this is a drone thing, right? Yep. Yes. Um, yes. In, a, in a very limited geography, I understand, Blacksburg, Virginia, uh-huh. um, the FAA has... Which, which certain, not coincidentally, is the home of Virginia Tech, uni- uh, okay. Virginia Technical University, whatever All it is. right. Well, I'm sure that's a conne- they're, they're not coincidental. Um Awarded the first air carrier certification to a drone delivery company, Wing Aviation. Certification paved the way for Wing Aviation to begin commercial package delivery in Blacksburg, Virginia. Um, is this, I'm sorry, I'm not seeing in this story, is this an Amazon thing or is this just a generic delivery thing? I thought I saw Amazon associated with this story at some point, but I'm not seeing it in the press release. Um, yeah, I don't think it would be in the press anyways, release. Anyways, so here we go, folks. It's started. They're off and um, running. Yeah, we're off and running. Um, 
I, you know, I, I sent you, I forwarded you guys a note earlier in the week by email um, um, that you both responded somewhat snippily to, quite frankly, all right, um, about a conference that I heard that was happening here in Boston, um, and I think it's like tomorrow or something, um, that I'm not going to go to, um, uh, although I may change my mind. Um, <laughs> a conference somewhat associated with MIT and Harvard. An- um, so this- Anastasia. Yeah, that, that's right, <laughs> Anastasia. Um, so uh, that, that that was the PR person's name um, who had sent out this uh, announcement. But if if the if the the uh, participant list is is accurate, the, this is not a if you will fly by night kind of thing. This is so, some serious folks talking about the subject of um, sort of um, what was the term? You guys, you, Jeb. It sounds like you have this in front of you. Do you? Why? Um, I have the, the press release in front of me. No, okay. Then hang on. I'm going to find it because I want to. I want to read the terminology. I want to kind of like. I thought that was interesting. Oh, that that email. Yeah, that email here. So that, that see, email uh, sent. Jeb and Dave, and uh, where is it here? Okay, aerial futures public event. Aerial. By the way, it was Anastasia. So, oh no, I can't even begin to do it. Um, a, a, a very Sukoroslava. Sukoro Slava. Slova. 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 Anyways. Um, and a uh, uh, public event uh, uh, examining urban air mobility, aerial futures, the third dimension. Where was the line here? Um, basically, what they're, they're, they're kind of talking about is the idea of re, I don't know what the word is, qualifying, redefining um, the uh, legal and appropriate uses of low altitudes, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, you got to figure that this is for the purpose of allowing drones and well, here, what are they talking about? Third dimension. Um, let's see now, increasing congestion and advances in autonomous technology are set to transform how we move around our cities. Many are now looking to looking to the sky, the third dimension as an expansive space for new kinds of mobility. Autonomous flying vehicles such as cargo drones and flying taxis have the capacity to disrupt how we move goods and passengers around urban space. And so we've got people from MIT Aero Astro, um, uh, an outfit called Safdi Architects, uh, someone from Airbus apparently, uh, someone from the Swiss Office of Civil Aviation, um, and the moderator is someone from the Harvard Graduate School of Design. So uh, an interesting subject um, and the idea that, uh, um, you know, places where airplanes aren't, for the most part, aren't allowed to fly anyways, helicopters maybe being an exception, um, being repurposed very, very overtly for drones. Um, You know, I mean, call them drones, call them self-flying air taxis, call them what you will. Um, It's uh, it's a thing. Does this not catch you guys' attention? Do you not think this is in any way notable? Yeah. <sighs> Apparently not. Okay. Uh, I, you know what? I, I continue to wave the flag that I've been waving for a few years now, man. The, the drones are such a big business. And, I, and I in- don't disagree with that. I, 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 they are a big business. And, yeah. and uh, capitalism will demand that we uh, embrace them and uh, carve out regulatory um, accommodations for them. I, I, yes, I, I understand all that, and the only part of that that I will, I will, I will uh, suggest we modify is it's not going to be a carve out. All right, um, they are going to displace all kinds of other activities. Yeah. Okay. 
I, All right, you heard it here first, man. Uh, nobody ever listens I'm not, to uh, I'm not saying to Turtle. I'm nobody not, listens to Turtle. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I understand. Um, turtle? Did you say Turtle? I did. My brothers say uh, that all the time. I think it's a pop culture reference that I'm not familiar oh, with. Jack, but, uh, Jack, Jack, what? Jack, Jack, Jack. Do have, you know what the reference no, is? We, we now have a new nickname, though. <laughs> Jack, 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 Jack. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, go ahead. Moving along. Yeah. What? Yes, we will have autonomous aerial vehicles. Um, we have them now, all things, all, all uh, uh, things considered. Um, whether they'll be carrying passengers in commercial operation and when, um, eventually, sure. Um they're not going to replace anything except maybe uh, um, the single-engine turbine helicopter. Um, they're not going to relieve congestion uh, on the roads because, at least at first, you know we're going to have you know a four or nine-seat uh, device on the ground. We call those buses, mm-hmm. and. Um, there's no way that we're going to have um, uh, mass transit for the masses via these via these uh, autonomous air vehicles. Um, the same people yeah. the same people who use helicopters in urban areas will use these things. Yeah, and, and that part of it I I'm, I am um, um, suspicious of because yeah if. If self-flying air taxis are a good idea, then why are people not using human-flying air taxis more? Exactly, exactly. Uh, but package delivery, um, small, you know, or even big, but freight delivery, I got to figure. And then all the other things, you know, the observation and, and, well, and uh, you know, freight, that kind of thing. Freight delivery is going to be limited by um, the same physics that limit... Um, using helicopters to deliver um, heavy items, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you're, you're not going to have um, heavy items delivered. You're going to have items that need to be done, delivered quickly, delivered in this fashion. But that's going to be legal papers or, or um, um, the um, I don't know, computer parts or something like that. Well, yeah. I mean, that we all receive. Sure. I, uh, or, or, receive or, cons- of, or consumer goods. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you, know, the, you know, the typical Amazon mm-hmm. package is like the size of a bread box or a microwave oven or you, whatever. You're going to see that the same limitations that apply to flying general aviation aircraft are going to apply to these kinds of operations, just on a smaller scale. You're going to have range and, and weight capacity capacity limitations that are going to restrict at least the the first versions of these these systems uh ultimately that's you know they'll, they'll overcome this and by then you know it'll be you know come on tell me again about how you used to fly piston-powered airplanes uh, <laughs> um, you know granddaddy can we sit on your lap and, and you can tell us again about how you, you used to fly piston power uh, piston-powered airplanes um so, yeah, that'll eventually happen, but in early uh, uh, applications of flying people uh, is just going to be a high-end helicopter. Mm-hmm. Uh, same same yeah. uses, same people riding in them. Yeah. So okay. we're a long way from the skies looking like a a, a scene from the fifth element or uh, Blade Runner. 
or the Jetsons, the Jetsons, Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Wait a minute, the Wizard of Oz. Flying Jetsons. monkeys. Flying. Oh, that's right. Flying, flying monkeys. monkeys, man. Flying monkeys. Okay. Or a Pink Floyd anyway. concert with flying pigs. Yeah. Yeah. Y- you think we're a long, long ways away from that? We're a long okay. ways away from that. I, I right. mean, at least in urban areas, I think there are certain militaries around the world that can probably do that right now. Yeah. Okay. But. Anyways. Anyways. It, it appears. It appears. Um, so the Google tells me. It appears that nobody listens to Turtle is a line from the 1987 movie North Shore. You looked it up, too. I did look it up because my brothers have been saying this for years. And that's exactly my brother's generation. You know, that's, that was their era. You know, that's, you know. So I, I totally uh, uh, believe. From, from that, 1950 uh, what? 87. 87. 87. I don't know what I said, but I meant to say 1987. North Shore. Um, Nobody listens to Turtle is a line from. Apparently, it's a surfer movie, so I don't know. Yeah, uh, hence the North Shore. That's uh, uh, Hawaii right. of Oahu. Yeah. Okay. Where can, right. Where can I see this movie? Um, North that's, Shore. That's a good question. IMDb. Let's see if they say whether it's available anywhere. Um, and by the way, you don't own this on DVD. Wow. Okay. I'm, I'm shocked by that. <laughs> I know. Huh? And uh, it says, well, no, it says it's in Prime Video. Hang on, let's go. So we go to Amazon. We go uh, North Shore Movie. And, uh, well, hmm. It doesn't appear that it's streaming. It appears that you can get the DVD. Yeah. but uh, there it is, and okay. and and there were a whole bunch of YouTube hits, so it's likely that you can find at least segments of it, if not the whole movie, on YouTube. Uh, anyways, that's that. Okay. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, Say that phrase again. No one listens to turtle. No one listens to turtle, man. And the, the context, the con, the 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 uh, you know the idea being that uh, oh, you know, turtle knew what he was talking about all along, but nobody listens to him. Um, and, this uh, is so bad. Yeah, anyways. Hi, this is Jack. We here at Uncontrolled Airspace are very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. There are two simple ways that you can contribute to this podcast. You can make a one-time, non-repeating donation by using PayPal. It doesn't need to be very much. As little as 10 or $15 is a big, big help. Or you can make an automatically repeating per-episode pledge with Patreon. With the online service Patreon.com, you can pledge as little as $1 per episode, put limits on your per-month contribution, and change or cancel your pledge at any time. For more information about how you can support this podcast in one of these ways, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. That will take you to a page with details on both these support methods. Thanks. David, ADSB in uh, there's a study that says that uh, that it's actually saving lives or at least preventing accidents. Yeah, the uh, I got to get that one in front of me here. Where am I? <clears throat> oh yeah, yeah. Actually, I've got it. Yeah, there it is. Uh, yeah, this yeah. one's from uh, AOPA's uh, uh, Mike Collins, my old buddy. Uh, a mm-hmm. study that examined the effect of automatic dependent surveillance broadcast in 
on general aviation and air taxi accidents found a significant reduction in the likelihood of an accident, which decreased by 53% for aircraft equipped with ADS-BN. It also, 53%. 53%. It also found that the likelihood of a fatal accident decreased by 89% for aircraft using ADS-BN. And hmm. for those of you that are just emerging from your winter hibernation and cave, ADSBN is the carrot that the FAA created to try to encourage people to adopt ADSB out. ADSBN gives you live traffic, and that's real time from aircraft to aircraft, as well as from the uh, air traffic control system via ground station, uh, and almost real time weather, uh, along with text weather, METARS, TAFs. Uh, 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 what do they call it? Uh, Doppler radar weather images, uh, and that stuff's all free for the cost of buying the equipment to receive it. And the equipment to receive it starts at about two hundred bucks for this little dongle that you can get from. I think it's the. Uh, oh, what's that software you guys use? Uh, uh, Forklight. Forklight. Thank you. And. Uh, through them and another vendor and you plug it into power and you initialize it and it gives you all of the imagery on your smartphone or tablet uh and i believe that 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 works for both android and ios but i'm not certain on that i should look at that okay well foreflight only works for ios but the dongle could be for flight planning things on on both there's a um, open source um, ADSBN receiver uh, out there uh, called Stratix. Stratus, yeah. Stratux uh, with an X at the end. Ah, uh, right, right, right. Stratus is the uh, Aperio. Is something else, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Handheld. I mean, sorry, portable uh, device. Um, but uh, for a hundred bucks in in parts from Amazon, um, delivered, you know, in two days. You can put your own little uh, ADSBN receiver. I've done it. I've flown it. It works both mm-hmm. iOS and Android. Um, I have a built-in receiver, so I don't use it habitually, but it does work. Um, there, and that was three or four years ago that I did that. Right. Um, the both the software and the har- available hardware it has improved a lot, and it's just a Raspberry Pi microcomputer. Mm-hmm. With a bunch of stuff stuck in it in a power right. source, uh, but uh, it works and it's right. it's next to free. You you can't you can't uh, uh, you can't do any better on the cost uh, equation. Sure, yeah. Um, but this is not this is this is not the 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 requirement for the end of the year here. The twenty twenty. That's a very the, important the, distinction. Um, uh, the, what, this, what we're talking about is it's called ADSBN. It's the data transmitted to the aircraft. Uh, by ground-based stations that the FAA has created. Mm-hmm. Um, ADSB out, which is the requirement uh, that's being imposed January 1, uh, requires uh, equipment to be installed in the aircraft and, and right. that equipment be approved. Yeah. Okay. Well, those are interesting numbers, David. Um, they I, are interesting numbers, and you will hear impressive. You will hear more about this. You'll hear more about it in, in the uh, June issue of Aviation Safety, for example. Ah, you've already you're already on the yeah. Case. I've got okay. I've got the study open right here in front of me. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, yeah. good deal. Yeah. We'll look it's not. That. I'm kind of curious. I might talk to Mike. I'm kind of curious about the status of this because he's he's 
apparently it's it's, it's a pre-publication paper, uh, and I don't know what that means, uh, and whether uh, when it's published will it have changed. Uh, oh, the numbers you mean? Yeah. Okay. Well, will the will the this paper will ha- will it have been edited or changed in any fashion right. when it's published? Okay. I don't know. Right. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, on a on a sad note, um, Billy Henderson. Um, I I think yeah. I've only met Billy Henderson once or yeah. twice, very very casually. Um, but but Billy Henderson was one of the co-founders of the Sun and Fun Fly-In um, way back when. Um, and, uh, and he passed away kind of suddenly, at least from our perspective, very quite kind of suddenly, um, a, a week or so ago. And, uh, I, I just wanted to, we certainly didn't want it to go without noting. Um, I, my guess is David, that you know, Billy Henderson better than either of us. Is that the case? Uh, well, I really can't say, but I, I got to know Billy really well over, over the uh, years since I started going to Sun and Fun in 1982 mm-hmm. and, uh, Billy was just a live wire. He had that spark and enthusiasm for people that uh, helped establish Sun and Fun as a as a go to thing back when it was still much earlier in the year. Uh, he was uh, close personal friends with the Pobreznys up in Oshkosh, and uh, the Pobreznys would come down to Florida and stay with Billy and his wife and son and. And the uh, Pobreznys would reciprocate when Billy would go up to Oshkosh to visit on EAA business. Uh, and a lot of people may not remember this, but at one time uh, there were a number of fly-ins around the country that were labeled EAA fly-ins right. and sanctioned by the uh, home office with the, the EAA logo and all that. And, you know, there was Sun and Fun, there was Copper State, uh Another one up in uh, the Washington State area, uh, and change in uh, liability laws and legal concerns, and all the uh, all of those events had to drop the official EAA mantle. And Billy wasn't wild about that; he liked the connection, but he got his arms around it and helped push the show forward to where it did even better than it had before so mm-hmm. yeah uh, and billy is responsible in uh some ways for the preservation of all those uh clubhouses on clubhouse row uh which if you've been to sun and fun you you uh, there's one path there called clubhouse row uh the sun and fun radio station is on the corner near the uh honda display then next to it's the Quiet Birdman hangar, and then next to that is uh, the, uh, uh, I believe it's the 99s. Then there's the uh, Silver Wings Fraternity, the OX-5. All of those outfits uh, actually own their clubhouses. Mm-hmm. And when there was a, a change in management at Sun and Fun, uh, the new head guy had designs on taking over that space for stuff that Sun and Fun could sell and found out pretty quickly that thanks to the work of Billy and others, I believe I'm explaining this correctly, the the QB hangar sits on ground that the Quiet Birdmen own. That's their building. That's their real estate. The same for all the other buildings going uh, east on Clubhouse Row. 
and Billy's institutional memory helped kill that idea of doing away with all those buildings and putting in, you know, more exhibit space or chalets or something like that. Uh, and Billy was still coming to the show uh, as recently as, well, I last saw him there, I guess, four years ago when he came to the uh, Sun and Fun Radio's uh, pre-show dinner at Sonny's Barbecue down on uh, mm-hmm. South Florida. Uh, just came in to say hello, shake hands. Uh, I think he'd had dinner already, but he made the rounds and made everybody feel welcome and valued. And uh, to think that this all started out of a uh, EAA chapter fly-in back 45 years ago now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, his his legacy is a great one. Um, and uh, he was present, um, at least briefly, at this year's Sun and Fun, uh, reading from a, a very nice piece um, memorializing uh, Billy um, in uh, Aviation News, written by our friend Ben Sclair. Um, one graph here, uh, Ben writes, I saw Billy at the April 4 ceremony for the 2019 class of inductees into the Florida Aviation Hall of Fame during Sun and Fun. He had been delivered to the festivities by longtime friend Dale Foe. While Billy looked more frail, he still had his ever-present twinkle in his eye. So, uh, um, you know, rest in peace, uh, uh, Billy Henderson. Thank you for everything you did. And uh, uh, we'll be talking about you for a long time to come because your work will live on. Oh, and it's living on in a grand style. Uh, Yeah, it is. They they tapped a real talent uh, when they tapped uh, Lights Lean Out to... take over the uh, job of running fun and fun and yeah it's been you know damn the torpedoes and full speed ahead ever since they really are doing some amazing things down there these days um let's see now i've completely lost track of how long we've been talking because we had a couple of long technical breaks here but uh i'm gonna say shout outs uh what do we got are, here? Are we reaching, reaching the end of our allotted time? We are. <laughs> reaching, I, think, I think we actually, I, I'm going to have to arm wrestle with you guys to do the after show because we're running really long. We're using a lot of our time here. Uh, what's going on with shout outs here? Uh, let's see now. Uh, the one that I put on the list is, uh, is, is just my, I, I just always like calling attention to this because I hope that it doesn't get missed and that is so there's a lot of flooding going on um in the in sort of the north central part of the united states um and once again private pilots are are out there helping out um there are areas that are cut off by flooding and uh and private pilots are in there doing free flights to help with stranded residents and to deliver supplies um, and so, uh, if, uh, you know, when those of us pilots who are talking to our non-pilot friends about general aviation, and if our non-pilot friends ever suggest that this is just, you know, a, a rich guy's rich person's, you know, um, um, you know, lark, point out to them that general aviation plays a really important part in uh, public service all around the country in lots of different situations. So uh, I'll, I'll put in the show notes a link to a, a CNN article about this, but uh, um, the the short version is, once again, private pilots are helping out in places that only private pilots can. Uh, other shout-outs? What do you guys have? Um, Dave, go ahead. I've, I've got one, but go ahead. Yeah, well, the, we were just talking about Billy Henderson's legacy at the uh, 
Sun and Fun Flying, and starting with the 2020 show, it will have a uh, new name. Uh, when I first heard this story, I was nervous, but it's, it is a new name, but not dramatically new. Go ahead. Sun and Fun Aerospace Expo. Uh, yeah, that'll be the as opposed to now. What was the what has been the name for years? Oh, the Sun and Fun International Fly-In and Ex- Exhibition, right? And before that, it was just the Sun and Fun. It was the EAA Sun and Fun Fly-In, uh, and we already talked about why that changed. So, right, next yeah. year's date, so that you can uh, start making your arrangements early, March thirty-one to April five, so you can get home in time to file your taxes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, the name kind of reflects the you know the the, the larger uh, mission that that Sun and Fun has embraced, um, and uh, and that's kind of interesting. I kind of regret the graf- grassroots, you know, the, the kind of turning away, if you will. They're not turning away, but the name no longer emphasizes the grassroots nature of it being a fly in an expo. But I understand what they're doing there, and uh, they're doing some great work. Um, I mean, the mission Sun and Fun remains- Sun and Fun is no longer. A one-week thing. That's my point here. Right? Is that Sun and Fun is is a, a year-round thing with multiple activities and events, and the fly, what we call the Sun and Fun Fly-in may be the the you know the pinnacle of the year, but it's by far it's not like this whole thing goes to sleep for right. for and, eleven months. And, and not all of those events involve aviation. It's used for a lot of other things. Yeah, the, the facility is used, but but the Sun and Fun does a lot of aviation stuff. Uh, right. They're very, very committed to the whole subject of, of education, uh, aviation-related or aer- aerospace-related aviation. Uh, correction, aerospace-related education. Um, and, uh, yeah, a lot of it has to do with that as well. David, I'm sorry, I cut you off. What were you saying? Uh, I was just going to say, uh, in the lines with the uh, year-round activity uh, for folks down in that neighborhood, the Sun and Fun is uh, staging some aviation summer camps in June and July, uh, ages 7 to 18 years old, Destination Aviation STEM-tastic summer camps. So uh, you can uh, find it on the sunandfun.org, plus snf.org website, and register your 7 to 18-year-old to uh Spend a week in aviation summer camp and learning the things about flying and airplanes and rib building and the whole, the whole shebang. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Jeb, you said you had a show. Yeah, here. really quickly. Both both of you know, guys know my my backyard. I got the the pond slash lake, and I got the island thing in the middle. And, <laughs> wow. Okay. And, and you know, I've got I've had cranes nest on that island in the past. You mean like big construction cranes with the arm? No, 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 oh. no, 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 no. The, the bird crane. The, yes, the, okay. Yeah, the tall, uh, skinny leg, big body, and, and broad broad wingspan. I do know that. Yes. Yeah, go ahead. So I have a pair of cranes nesting on my island again this season. You do? Yes. This has been... Wait a minute, I was there like a week and I know, a half ago. I know, I this, know. This just started like last weekend. Wow, okay. It just boom, out of, out of nowhere. They've done it before, obviously, but they haven't done it in the last couple of three years. And I didn't really expect them to come back. So anyway, they're back. There's two eggs. And, nice. You know, my, and I'll, I'll report back for our listeners on what, what eventually happens here. I just want one of them to be named Denny. Denny? Denny. Okay. Denny Crane. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Boston legal. Yeah. Uh, now we actually, yeah, that's right. They're showing your age. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know. Actually, 
Boston Legal is not that. So not I don't know whole, whether this. Yeah. No, uh, uh, Jeb and I actually started watching some uh, some <clears throat> Boston Legal while I was visiting, and that was. And I've actually continued. I don't know yeah, if you have. I, um, but uh, um, I, I watched this feeling like it's like a really really old series, um, and and it is ten years ago, but it's only like t- or ten or fifteen years ago. Um, it's like the episodes I'm watching were 2005, so it's not crazy long ago. Um, but uh, yeah, Denny Crane. Okay, and Denny yeah. Crane. Fluid Gulfstream. <laughs> okay. uh, I'll, I'll report back in the. In, I'll report back for our listeners. Uh, yeah. Uh, in in past years, the uh, um, the antics of the newborn cranes have been very interesting. Yep. Yep. Um, so, and uh, I mean it, that one. Well, that's it's promising that uh, there doesn't appear to be a gator in residence. Well, right now. now that you say that. Oh, really? Just this morning, I saw the first alligator I've seen around here in like a month. You think you think this whole Denny Crane thing is a coincidence it's, now? It's right. possible, but I, 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 um, the crane was on one side of the island, and the and the alligator was on the other side of the island. Ooh, okay. and they were they were coexisting. And then I went back out a little few minutes ago and checked, and the gator was gone. The the mm-hmm. the crane is still there on the nest. Okay. So. What will happen? Hey, you know that's that's um, that's why stay this. Is, t- yeah, stay tuned, folks. That's why this is free. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Hey, I think it's fork time. Is that it? Uh, there's a bunch of things we left on the list, but we'll yeah, come back we'll, to some of we'll them back like, next time. And uh, um, so, uh, yeah, there we go. All right. I mean, I gotta find the right piece of piece of paper here. Where to go? All right. Um, Fork time. Thank you, uh, both of you. It's always a blast. Uh, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time and uh, getting together. I enjoy our chats. Jeb Burnside uh, is a uh, freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. What have you been working on, Jeb? Um, Recovering from uh, Sun and Fun and the AEA show before it, uh, and um, trying to get some words out the door for AEA. Yeah, uh, and oh, by the way, an issue of aviation and safety by the way, mingled in there. Yeah, right? I've got yeah. an issue. Uh, um, I'll be work. I'm working on now. I'll be working on it heavy next week. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So yeah, there's you know, kind of sitting at my desk and and uh, not getting enough exercise and all that kind of thing. But uh, it's for a worthy cause. My my bank account. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, aviationsafetymagazine.com, dot uh, net for the Aircraft Electronics Association. Um, you might find some of my stuff on AvWeb. You might find some of my stuff on uh, AIN Online. You might find some of my stuff on GeneralAviationNews.com. Cool. And uh, uh, Twitter? Burnside J. And Dave Higdon. Dave, thank you. It's always a blast. Dave is an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's Av Buyer magazine. David, what have you been working on? Well, I've got a little piece in the uh, April Avionics News magazine. Uh, that uh, talks about the uh, ongoing challenge glass cockpits pose to vacuum pumps placed in the panel power hierarchy. And I even managed to pilfer and rewrite a little bit a uh, monologue from uh, William Shakespeare's play, Julius Caesar, to intro it and, and you can find it at AEA.net. You can go and look at the Shakespearean reference yourself and go, oh, yeah, that was corny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I got to check it out now. Okay, here we go. And, I, I, you know, bless his heart, uh, 
my editor there, uh, Jeb's editor, because he's in the magazine this month too. Uh, uh, Jeff Hill was really nice and left it left it in the story. So I guess it didn't go over like a lead balloon completely. But when I went back and read it later, I went, "Did I really do that?" <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find you, David, on the internet? Well, AEA.net for my avionics news work, avbuyer.com for uh, the uh, Avbuyer magazine out of London. Uh, I do work on their editorial pages, and I also contribute to their website. Uh, I'm currently doing a series of uh, uh, aircraft overviews, kind of snapshots of different business aircraft and uh, how big they are, how fast they are, what they cost, and all of that. So that's at avbuyer.com. Otherwise, if you're curious enough, oh, and I have a new client out on the West Coast uh, that publishes a magazine for the it's Cessna Owners Group and it's Piper Owners Group, and they've been nice enough to let me contribute to both of those recently. I can't tell you where to find it because I haven't seen one yet, but mm-hmm. that'll come up at the next meeting. Okay, and I'm guessing that the Google can help with that, but uh, yeah. All right. Uh, uh, Twitter, David? Uh, Real Higdon on the Twitter machine. And uh, don't look for me on Facebook because I won't show my face there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yep. Uh, and I should point out that uh, Uncontrolled Airspace is on Twitter as well. Uh, you can find us and follow uh, us there at uh, twitter.com slash class G airspace. That's all one word, class G airspace. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. Uh, I uh, been we actually got some interesting projects possibly coming down the the pipe, uh, down the highway, down the road, whatever metaphor you want, um, regarding the podcast, uh, and p- more particularly the the back catalog of the podcast. Uh, maybe we'll tease that a little bit more after I tell my friends here about it. Um, but uh, or if you listen to the after show, you might learn more about that. And uh, uh, so I'm, I'm working on that a lot. I'm trying to clean up the uh, UCAP website a fair amount um, and uh, and then just kind of working on a bunch of personal projects, getting ready to go out to uh, to uh, California for the uh, Maker Fair um, in, in a couple weeks. And I'm looking forward to that. That'll be a lot of fun. Uh, you can find me online at, at most places by using the username Jack Hodgson. My first and last name just kind of bumped together. Uh, for example, youtube.com slash Jack Hodgson, twitter.com slash Jack Hodgson, uh, and and patreon.com slash Jack Hodgson. On Amazon, you can find my ebooks by searching for Around the Field in the Books section. And you can sign up for my uh, very, very seldom but occasional email newsletter at jackhodgson.com. Hey, David, was there something you wanted to tell us? There's some benefits beyond travel and distance shrinking time travel from flying airplanes because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. You knew I'd get around to it eventually. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. You know, I had something all prepared, but I'm just not going to use it. So I'm just going to say bye. Bye.